Did we get the handouts or no? Yes. Yes. Okay. Okay, just making sure. And then um, just a little housekeeping. Does everyone have a name tag? We're supposed to have them if you don't. Almost covered. <laughs> Almost covered, okay. It doesn't have to say your name. It just, you, CYT, Yeshua Tzion. That's all so that they know who you're associated with, what group you're associated with in this building. So just a FYI. And we are, last week's recording came out well, so by the grace of God, we'll have a recording tonight. Um, thanks for everybody coming out. And we'll be looking at Nehemiah tonight. And it's Nehemiah. And I think we can probably read the whole chapter. It's uh, chapter 1. Oh, Jeremiah. Well, hold on to your, your notes. At the top of your notes page, it, it shows that we'll be looking at Daniel 9 next week, and then John 17 the week after. So, and I, I'm, I'm not sure who's teaching those two classes. I, I believe David might be teaching one, and I might be teaching the other, or Rabbi Han might be teaching one, and David might be teaching the other. But between, between all of us, you guys will be taught. Art, could you read the entire chapter for us of Nehemiah chapter 1? The words of Nehemiah, the son of Hakaliah. It was in the month of Kislev, in the 20th year, as I was in Chushan, the capital, that Hanani, one of my kinsmen, came out of Yehuda with some men. And I asked them about the remnant of Judeans who had escaped in exile in about Jerusalem. They answered me, the remnant of the exile left there in the province are in great distress and are held in contempt. The walls of Jerusalem is in ruins and its gates have been completely burned up. On hearing this answer, I sat down and wept. I mourned for several days, fasting and praying before the God of heaven. I said, please, Adonai, God of heaven, your great and fearsome God, who keeps his covenant and extends grace to those who love him and observe his ritual. Let your ear not be attentive and your eye to the open so you will listen to the prayer of your servants, which I am praying before you these days, day and night, for the people of Israel, your servants, even as I confess the sins of the people of Israel that we have committed against you. Yes, I and my father's house have sinned. We have deeply offended you. We haven't observed the miserable laws or rulings you ordered your servant Moshe. Remember, please, the word you gave to your servant Moshe. If you break faith, I will scatter you among the people. But if you return to me, observe my mitzvot, and obey them, then even if you scatter them, scattered ones are in the most distant part of heaven, nevertheless I will collect them from there and bring them to the place I have chosen for bearing my name. Now these are your servants, your people, whom you have redeemed by your great power and strong hand. Adonai, please, let your ear now be attentive to the prayer of your servant and to the prayer of your servants who take joy in fearing your name. Please let your servants succeed today and win this man's 
compassion, for I was the king's personal attendant. Thank you, Art. <clears throat> Last week, um, we talked about Ezra, and um, one of the things I wanted to bring out to you, does it, was everybody here for, uh, I think it was about a year ago, we had the exhibition of the scrolls. And the scrolls came forth, and we got to see what an entire Tanakh might have looked like. We had, I believe it was over 20 scrolls, and they were each laid out separately. And when we got to the scrolls specifically of Ezra and Nehemiah, it was one scroll. And part of the reason why I illustrate that to you is because Ezra and Nehemiah was always seen as one scroll. It was always seen as a, a book that went together. There's no point ever that we see this separation coming about until later years. And, and most people point to the time of when the Vulgate, or the, the Catholic Bible was established, that that was about the time that we see the separation. But in the Greek translation of the Tanakh, which we call the Septuagint, we also have this same one book, Ezra and Nehemiah. They're both one book together. And so last week when I was getting prepared, I was really struggling whether or not to share Ezra or Nehemiah first. Because both of them have very uh, impossible tasks that they're dealing with, but part of the indication was where should intercession start? Where should our intercession start? And the Lord led me to Ezra specifically because he was first someone who had to deal with repentance. And we see that even tonight in Nehemiah. But specifically, Nehemiah could also have gone before Ezra. It could have gone either way because so much of what Nehemiah is going to do is going to impact so greatly that it could have been also a starting point of our study. And so part of the background that we first begin to see is how Nehemiah was and Ezra were one book. It was something that they were contemporaries of each other. We see about 13 years from when Ezra had come in, because it says Ezra went in the seventh year of Artaxerxes, and then Nehemiah went in the 20th year of Artaxerxes. And most of the scholars agree that Nehemiah came first. There is one viewpoint that says, no, we believe that it was Nehemiah that came first. But most scholars are in agreement. The book is written that way. In fact, Nehemiah in the Talmud is referred to as 2nd Ezra, not even referred to as Nehemiah. So this is what we're looking at. They're very contemporary of each other. They're dealing with many of the same types of issues when they come to how they are going to speak. Now, we see that uh, Nehemiah starts by saying he was a servant in Shushan. Does anyone remember from our study of Esther what Shushan was? Part of the Persian Empire? A place where they stayed in the wintertime, correct, correct. And, and that, that stays true to form here as we see in the setting that Nehemiah in both chapter 1 and if you look ahead in chapter 2, they mention both the month of Kislev. And Kislev is like November, December. And Nisan. There's two S's in Nissan. Oh, there is? Oh, good. I did it right then. And that is March and April. So these are the winter months and going into the spring that we see this first part of Nehemiah begin. And this is, a, Kislev, I believe, is the ninth month. And then, or is it, no, it's, I'm sorry, it's the tenth month. Kislev is the tenth month. And then you have, uh, I believe it's Shabbat and Adar, and then Nisan, coming back around. Is that right? 
Chevette Adar Nissan? Chevette, yeah. So you have three months, three months in which all this is occurring during the winter time in which Nehemiah begins to start his prayers. And he has this time of prayer about the same thing for three months, three months. And I was thinking, boy, when was the last time I prayed for something over and over again? Three straight months, three straight months. But he's a, Nehemiah is the cupbearer or the, the main attendant. And so he's in a place where he can receive news. And I like the fact that each one of us is placed wherever God wants us to be. Whether we are doing something like, oh, maybe somebody doesn't think they have an important job. Maybe they're working at Walmart. Or maybe they're working in the President's Council. It doesn't really matter because the Lord has you right where he wants to use you. And Nehemiah is right where the Lord wants him because he's got access to the newspaper, kind of, in a sense. He's able to hear what's going on in Persia in a way that maybe you and I wouldn't be able to hear what's going on because he sees people come to the king and leave the king and he's probably got a chance to, to talk to them and ask them questions. And we see that, that that's how he's um, appointed and here's the, how God begins to use him in this context. And, and I'm telling you, he had a real priority and a heart when he heard the news about Jerusalem, that he that he constantly prayed these three months, three months. And the first word I want to draw our attention to is the word he inquired. And it's the same word, if I'm saying it right, Sha'al. Yes. Sha'al. It's what we see in Psalm 122. Does there, is everybody familiar with Psalm 122? And verse 6? That is where you pray for the peace of Jerusalem. That's correct. And the word there for pray is the same word to pray. It has to do with inquiring. Inquire. What? Ask. Find out. What is the Lord wanting to do here? This is the same word that Nehemiah is talking about, that he made inquiry to find out what's going on. And I really like what Nehemiah does throughout his prayer and throughout this first chapter because I see whether it's clear or not that he probably had a strong knowledge of the scriptures. Very strong knowledge that he knew to inquire about Jerusalem. That he probably knew what Psalm 122.6 said in his language. He knew that he needed to find out what's happening, what's going on with Jerusalem. And each of us has that same uh, responsibility on some level to find out where is God doing with Israel? What is God doing right now? Because each of us needs to know that Israel is going to be important and has always been important in God's economy. It never has ever stopped being important. And most people have this uh, very narrow perspective. And it's like a bottle that looks like a bottle at two ends. You know, well, God, you know, he had a big perspective with Israel in the past. But right now there's nothing going on. And at the end, he's going to have a big perspective again with Israel. And they have this mentality that in the middle, God isn't really interested in what happens with Israel. But it's, I'm telling you right now, it's the exact opposite. God is just an important heart and desire for what happens in Israel. Not just at the beginning, not just at the end, which a lot of times the church focuses on, but always has a desire to see how we inquire, how we look at Israel. It's such an important part. And he gets the news about this, and we, we see again, the answer that he gets is that they're in both... A, a tough place spiritually and physically that right now they're under a, the same di disgrace and shame and I think it's the word we talked about last week kharpa yes and then that's the word kharpa in Hebrew and then I believe it's I'm not sure if it's ra or ra'a ra'a ra 
or they're in calamity. This is just spiritual. In a sense, if he was taking Israel's temperature, they were in calamity, they were in distress. Kind of the, the thermometer reading he's getting from his friend as he gets this news. And so he sees that there's a spiritual side, and then there's a physical side. A physical side. What were the physical conditions of Israel that were brought back to him? Well, there were two specific things that were mentioned. What were they? They were slaves. They were slaves? That was, that was mentioned in Ezra, but specifically the two physical conditions. The walls, that, broken. The walls were broken. The gates were burned. And the gates burned. Now what's the significance of the walls and the gates? Protection. Protection is one. Yes, if the walls are broken, but the gates are also the entry points. If they're burned, does anyone know where where you enter or where you exit, per se? It might be kind of hard to figure things out. And they couldn't keep the enemy out. No, they wouldn't be able to keep the enemy out. To do more destruction, I imagine. That's, that, that's, a, that's an important point. But what I want to draw our point to is this is a condition in which God is involved, in which God is involved, because... We know that the scripture tells us unless God protects, right? What does the watchman do? It's in vain if he watches. He can watch all night. And if God's not protecting, it really doesn't matter. God has to be the one who protects. And the gates were points of being able to approach the Lord and come in. They're kind of the entry points, like I'm saying, of how we can come before the Lord. If these are burnt up or not knowing where they are, how can anyone really come before the Lord and truly serve Him? And so these are things not just after Nehemiah's heart, but I believe they're things after God's heart. How we enter before Him. You know, and there, you know, there's one place when we look at um, when we come on Shabbat, there's one main entrance that we all come through. And that's kind of an important piece of, of how we enter and how we worship the Lord. There, there is the way you went. The way you, you come in and how you would serve the Lord. And so this is kind of what's in Nehemiah's heart as he looks at all these different things. And after Nehemiah gets the news, he says there's four things he does. He, he prays, he fasts, he weeps, and he mourns. So Nehemiah was touched greatly by what had happened here. He was touched very greatly. And he kept praying and praying and praying and kept praying for, like I said, three whole months. It says night and day. Night and day. So night and day. It says, it teaches us the importance of prayer, as we can see here, whether we're living our private lives. You know, that it's so important to, to uh, give that time to God, and then God gives us. And what, what is the lesson that we can learn from that? Yes, well, absolutely perseverance. Perseverance is definitely a key here, is that a lot of times we do things and we don't see the results when it comes to spiritual things, whether it's obeying something or praying for something. We don't see the immediate result. It's not like when we clean up the mess in the house and we see the result of a clean house. It's not the same way when we do things spiritually. So it is a endeavor of perseverance in which we have to go at it and keep going at it. And the first thing I also notice is that twice Nehemiah makes the, the term the God of heaven. And there's it's nothing really fancy in Hebrew, but part of the understanding, if you ever want to do a great study, the God of heaven and earth. If you want more study, look at this term, the God of heaven and earth. And part of the reason what I've learned from the study of the God of heaven and earth is God wants to show his glory to every person. And everybody on some level, when they came to an understanding of God, they realized God was the God of heaven and earth. We see Paul make this statement in Acts chapter 17 on Mars Hill. 
We see this statement throughout Scripture over and over again. The God of heaven and earth. The God of heaven. And here it's just the God of heaven. But it's that same idea that God has created heaven and earth. And he's over all things. And it's a statement we see a lot of times in witness to the other nations. And I don't know if that's what Nehemiah is getting at. But we see it twice here in verse 4 and in verse 5. That he begins his prayer and he has this idea, this is who God is. He might be thinking in terms of El Elyon, the God most high, the God who rules over all gods. And so I think that's kind of where we get to. And now we get to the actual prayer of Nehemiah. And does anyone know what Nehemiah's name means? Nehemiah. Nehemiah. What does that mean? Anybody know? Compassion. Comfort. He's someone who's discharged with comfort, the comfort of God. It's a really interesting character. Not because of who Nehemiah was, but it's kind of that idea that God has named people, and I believe God names people, even though we kind of take the credit for it as parents at times. But I really believe that God gave us a heart, just in my own family, We really prayed and said, Lord, what do you want this child to be named? Because we knew that God was going to do something mighty through the character that would be endowed on this child. The very character and the nature that would come forth. And that's much of what Nehemiah, when we look at his prayer, he's looking over and over at God's character. That God is the God who keeps his covenant and shows mercy to thousands. And he and I believe it's referring right back to Exodus 34 verses 6 and 7. Which we which I hope you guys are familiar with, which you're very familiar with cuz we see that theme of God. Let's read that those two verses, Exodus 34 6 and 7. We see that Moses wanted to know God and it's and we saw that David taught on this uh, uh, um, back in in the fall. But we talked about how through these two verses, there are 13 attributes of mercy. Supposedly. Supposedly. (laughs) Exodus 34, 6 and 7. Can I have someone read that? things I see that Nehemiah is really beginning with and parking on is his appeal to God's very character. His very character. And two of the things that not only do we see that he calls him the God of compassion and mercy, who keeps his covenant, just like we read, but also that God, we are to love God, we love God, by keeping his commandments. And this is a parallelism that we see over and over again throughout scripture. We say every week on Shabbat, as part of our Torah service liturgy, what do we say? Yeshua said, if you love me, keep my commandments. And that's a big part of who our God is. It's not It's not the, the, the picture a lot of times we get the picture of love as being the, the big heart, the big hug. And God is very passionate. I'm not getting away from that. But God is also interested in how we act, what we do. And so he's very interested in that, that he says, if you love me, you're going to keep my commandments. And Nehemiah, he picks up on the same idea in his passage here, that the same parallelism that if you love God, you'll keep his commandments. And we, it's not just here that we see this. We see it in Exodus earlier on. We see it throughout Scripture. And Nehemiah uses these terms for God that are interesting. Have you ever, have you ever wondered why people always seem to ascribe anthropomorphic 
the way of saying God may have a hand or he may have an ear. And twice we see here in this whole prayer kind of is a, a, a look at bookends, per se, that Nehemiah makes reference to God. Give attention with your ear. And he makes references to God. Open your eyes. Does God really need to open his ears and eyes? Why is that about then? Why does why does he make an appeal like that? Because he wants to let us know that he's very available to us. Well, I think it's really us letting him know we've kind of begun to see things, Lord. We get it now. Our eyes have been opened, our ears have been hearing, and now we want to see you do the same thing. I think it's really more about that that we've begun to get it. I remember saying to some, somebody said to me one day, and this was probably about a year ago, Michael, you just need to open your eyes. I said, oh, wow, that's my problem. I just never opened my eyes. But, you know, that, it, it's kind of a very simple thing in terms of, I get it now, Lord. Are you getting it too? Are you getting it too? And just like Ezra, Nehemiah starts by the confession of sin. And there's a strong element of repentance throughout his entire prayer. He's very much grieved. He's very much mourning, as we referred to last week. Blessed are those that mourn. What will happen? They shall be comforted. And it's not about mourning in, in the sense that we sometimes think of the, the loss of our life at times. But I think it's more about the mourning of our sin. How we've failed God. And we know we failed God. And it's something that Nehemiah continues to, 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 to see, be in the same theme of Ezra in that way. And I like the way that he acknowledges it by saying, this I have sinned against you, Lord. He makes it very personal. And he really takes a sense of ownership of that sin. Saying, it's, it's personal what I've done to you. It very reminds me much like David in the sense of how David was very personal. Because he says, it was I myself and my father's house. And that same connection of the multi-generational. It's hard sometimes to look multi-generational in today's world. Because a lot of times we're confronted with the here and now in our face. And we don't always see the long-term things like... What, what happened with our fathers? What happens with our children? And these are very concerning to God. He wants us to get a hold of these things. And it's something that Nehemiah is definitely, it's something on his heart when he starts confessing his sin. And the understanding that not just that the confession has to be here, but it has to be throughout everyone. And he makes a very strong emphasis on what they've done wrong from the Torah. And he uses the, the only word he doesn't use here actually is Torah. But he said, the commands and the statutes and the judgments. all representative of the three parts of the three pillars that we see Moses emphasizing over and over again. Obey the statutes, obey the, 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 the commands, obey the judgments that I've set before you this day. And we see this over and over again when you read Deuteronomy. You can probably almost open any chapter of Deuteronomy and you'll come across these three words, commandments, statutes, and judgments. Because the Lord has a heart for these things. And Nehemiah understood that the commands when it came to Moses where we failed are part of the reason we're in the, the situation we're in. This is why I believe Nehemiah really knew his Bible. He makes reference to it over and over again because he wants to see God's character released. He wants to see that God remember what he said before. And I want to look specifically at Leviticus 26 tonight and see exactly where this was talked about. And if we can look at verses 42 to 45. Leviticus 26. And 
So, let, yes, that's true. He's, he's wanting to re, in a sense, start the, the, the relationship that he had with them before when they were in the land. Because he knows what it says here in Leviticus 26, and he understands that we can still go to God even when we're outside of his land. Verses 42 to 45. Leviticus 26, yes. Yes, Mary, that you're referring to that he wants to see his people come back. He's been hurt, absolutely. And he's still going to be faithful to them, even if they will turn when they're in the land. And he wants to reestablish, in a sense, reconnect with his people in this prayer. And this is such an important piece of what Nehemiah's ultimate uh, calling was to be. Because he had some big things ahead of him. When you go on and you read the rest of the book of Nehemiah, he had several challenges facing him in erecting the walls around the city, in restoring the gates. But he makes it very clear, in order for us to return... We've got to learn to start being obedient. We've got to start learning to return to you. We've got to learn to start observing your ways. And he, he makes it the same, the same admonition as Moses. And he says, remember. Is it because God forgot something? God doesn't forget. What is, when we read remember in Scripture, what is that about then? What is, what is it about when we read remember in Scripture? Someone says, God, remember this. Are they needing, is God needing memory recall? No. Is he needing to go on his computer and look what he backed up? What is, what is that about? It's well, us remembering. It's about us remembering, but it's also a call for God to simply act. <coughs> it's a call for God to act and do something now. It's a very active word. Do it now, Lord. Do it. We need you to move and to make things happen. That's a big part of what we are asking God to do when, he, when we say, remember your faithfulness. 
Remember the covenant you had with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. We're asking God to say, remember what you did back here? We want you to do it again. We want you to be unleashed and we want you to come forth in power. And it's the same idea that that he wants to collect and bring the people back to the land. So they can come to this place. This place where he has established his name. And I've really, you know, I don't know if Nehemiah really had a strong understanding of the word. But I really believe whoever wrote these things down, whoever really, they had a very understanding of the word because he makes reference to Second Chronicles, I believe. Yes, 25. Uh, you want me to read that? Sure. Uh, read uh, 24 and 25. If it, your people of Israel are destroyed before their enemies because they have sinned against you and if they turn to you and call themselves your people and pray to you here in the temp- this temple and listen to them from heaven and forgive their sins and give them back the land you gave to their fathers. That's right. That's a big part of what Nehemiah is thinking about when he begins his prayer. And I'm, I'm saying that he is drawing on already the prayers that have been prayed. He's already drawing on prayers that have been prayed, things that have been said from Scripture. And, and you know, I don't think God has a problem with that kind of copying. Okay? If we want to copy or emulate someone else's prayer. Especially if we're looking to call it, it toward God's character. That God is this type of person. That God is th- this type of characterization. He is faithful. He is merciful. There's nothing wrong with copying those same prayers. Those same prayers that we find throughout scripture that keep reminding God of what he's done. And how he's done it for his people. And so Nehemiah, I really feel, is at the heart of that over and over again. And at the end of his prayer, he makes a strong commitment toward God for God to understand that there's going to be work that needs to be done. And what he most needs most is the favor of this man. Who is the favor that he's trying to get for? The king. Which king? Artaxerxes. Artaxerxes. Because Artaxerxes has real power in terms of the physical. Sometimes we can't change the spiritual right away. But we can also we can look at it and say, this is physically sometimes what we can do. We can make this change this way. We can go about doing... And Nehemiah, I believe, is looking in terms of that and saying... We might not be able to change things in the spirituals, but we can start beginning to change things in the physical by rebuilding the walls, by going out. And so he's asking immediately for the favor, to have favor with this man, the king, that he's, I believe he's specifically making reference to. So, uh, Mike, so that besides praying, Well, and the reason I struggled with whether or not to share Ezra or Nehemiah first, because Nehemiah's prayer is something that I would call this. It's undergirding. Do you know how important prayer is to undergird something? Any thoughts here? Why do we need an undergirding of prayer? Correct. If you don't have prayer, being able to stand on it and to know that you've been prayed up, to know that you can move forward, then you're not going to be able to accomplish anything. You're not going to be able to accomplish anything. I've been here at Ishuatzion a good 10 years, I'd say, maybe a little longer. And I know people wanted to know, how come we're not doing outreach? How come we're not doing this? And Rabbi Ham would say, well, we don't have the undergirding of prayer that we really need. How come we're not doing this? And that's really more to the point. We cannot go forth and do anything that God wants us to do or that we think we want to do for God if we don't undergird it with prayer. And because Nehemiah's prayer is so strongly 
an undergirding for what he's going to do that I was really struggling. Should I share Nehemiah first or Ezra? And the fact is, it doesn't really matter. The fact is, God wants to do a work in his people. At the end of the day, he wants to do a work in his people. And Nehemiah understands this. He says, God, the people are yours. They belong to you. And remember what we said last week? God's people are to look a certain way. They're to look redeemed. They're to look like redeemed people. That doesn't mean we're perfect. That doesn't mean we're spotless at times. It just means we've been redeemed. And maybe we're still in that process of redemption. Maybe you have hurts or brokenness. Maybe there are things in your life that are like walls broken down, gates that are burnt up, where you're struggling to to go in and meet with God, where you see that you don't maybe have the same protection that maybe you wanted for a while. Maybe you feel kind of exposed or whatever, kind of the same way the shame and calamity that Israel was feeling in Nehemiah's day. And the fact is, Nehemiah understands this is going to be a big undertaking. He's got to have the prayer to back him up. And so at the end of this prayer, he makes another anthropomorphic term, God, your right arm, which has shown much power. What is that about? The right arm of God. What is that about? The strength of God? Yes. It's a very personal and powerful term when we see God's right hand. And he understands that the people... The very people have to look redeemed and be redeemed by the Lord. They have to be that way. That doesn't mean they look perfect. That means they're redeemed. And I think that's a lot of what Nehemiah is pointing to. Yeah, they've had their sin. They've had their tough days. And God has a work to do in them. And the the bottom line is we want to be undergirded before men and before God when we go and we want to be able to speak or to be what God is calling us to be and speak. Is that saying we have to be fearless? No. No. <coughs> Not at all. And we can be still fear, fearful by all means. But the thing is, it's, it's really not our problem. It's God's problem. And the undergirding is learning to make it God's problem. Right. In other words, transferring it over to Him. Transferring it over to Him. And not carrying the burden or the fear. It's a very big stepping out in faith. It doesn't happen because of what we want to do, but it happens because what God wants to do. And that's that's the main point of this Nehemiah prayer that the Lord gave to share tonight. I I'm, know I'm getting probably close on time. Ten minutes. Sir. Ten minutes? If you want to take it. <laughs> well, I know people needed to leave early last week. Are there any questions or comments that people want to make? Well, I would say the very important thing is understanding that we have got to learn not to be ready to always do. Now, there's a balance in that. I'm not saying that we can sit on our hands and do nothing, okay? Because praying is doing. Praying is a big part of doing. And that's what Nehemiah chose to do. He saw that there was a problem. He heard about the problem. And you might hear about problems too. Or you might see problems and say, I know what to do, but it's really, the point is, is that what God wants you to do? We have to seek God. We have to seek God, and we have to be willing to persevere in seeking God. God doesn't, God doesn't like the microwave where in one minute we'll have the answer. Nehemiah was willing to commit three months to finding out the answer. And specifically, Nehemiah was also committed to saying, what? was my assignment. What was my assignment? Because he knew that he was in a position where he might really be able to make a difference. But I don't think he knew specifically what God was going to have him do at the time. He just wanted to be available to that assignment. Which was Michael, is that once he got the king's approval, he had it all planned out. He knew who he wanted to have 
on his team, the people that he wanted, and the, even to the lumber, everything. What he needed to ask for. So, I mean, it's, it's not like he didn't plan it. No, he didn't. I won't say that. You're right. He did have plans. But at the same time, he didn't try to say that, you know, I know this is the plan for sure, but he began to pray on it and undergird it with prayer. And I can't emphasize that point to you enough. Here at Yeshua Tzion, we've made a commitment to undergird things with prayer. Always. And we're seeing it in a new level now that we're seeing prayer going on while ministry is going on. It's something that God is doing. We want to see more of that happen, that prayer would go on while ministry is also going on. And God has a heart to see this. I'm not saying that he, you know, with any kind of ministry, it's always got to be, Lord, send the workers. Send the workers. You know who wants to do this. You know who has the time, the ability, and the heart to do these things. And that's why we begin to see specifically on Shabbat morning, that we have prayer going on during the worship service, during the Torah service, and during the message. Because we want to see God's power unleashed. We want to have that undergirding, knowing that it's covered by people who are committed to seeing God cover these things. Any other questions? Comments? Did you just tell the man that Solomon, he seemed to know Yes, he did know, he, you know, but Moses had that insight as well. So, I mean, you know, it's very hard to see faithfulness, faithfulness established. And that's part of learning also from God is God has to establish faithfulness in people. People can't do it by their own sheer will or ability. They have to say, Lord, we need the faith to see you establish these things, the steadfastness to see your faithfulness grow. It's not because I want to see it done, but it's got to be because you want to see it done. Now, Mike, you also, you see, you just mentioned that he, he knew what he had to, the, the uh, materials, but he also knew that he was going to face enemies when he got there. So he knew, he, he knew that a very wise man was, you know, and he knew that prayer would reinforce him to take step by step And I believe there's another picture that's really strong in Nehemiah where it says they worked on the wall in one area and at the same time they had their sword about them. And I believe that's kind of how God wants sometimes to use us. Those that can multitask. Not all of us are great multitaskers. You know, not everybody can walk and chew gum, but maybe those that can, God wants to use in that way. And I believe part of that ministry of the people that can walk and chew gum is being able to pray. Being able to say, uh, we need to stop and pray. Or, the Lord wants me to hold back right now because he's calling me over here to pray. And it's, it's a maturity thing. It's also a, a, a willingness to say, I'm humble enough, Lord, that if you have a different assignment for me today, I'm willing to step back and not be at the forefront but to serve in the way you want to see serve take place. And that's how a building or a, something's achieved, a plan is achieved. Maybe. I don't know. Life. Maybe. The, you know, I just know that the Lord may want us to develop that skill of being able to do more than one thing at once. And I, I'm, I'm not as always gifted at that. Sometimes I can do a, a couple things, but not all the time. Here's a thought, Michael. Um, Paul, who was primarily an also a major intercessor uh, because all the letters that he writes he always talks about the fact that he prays for so and so so and so and so and so and then he tells uh, the readers then to be doing the same thing so uh, unfortunately we have this notion of uh, I'm you know some people are big deep prayer warriors 
rest of us are, I don't know what, but uh, it kind of lets us off the hook, and uh, I don't see that in, in Scripture. So, in one sense, you know, Nehemiah's getting the prayer before the ministry, and Ezra's kind of coming to the land, and God's brought him this far, and then he makes a prayer of intercession. And so, there are many similarities in both Ezra and Nehemiah's prayer, but there's also that contrast of one knowing that when he got to the land, and I'm not saying either one of them didn't keep praying, but I'm just saying these great intercessory prayers, one took forth and was like an undergirding, and the other one was, now that I'm here, I know there needs to be some severe intercession take place. And so whichever way God calls us to intercede, whether we're at the beginning of a ministry or we've just gotten to it, God will help us with that intercession. Micah? Yeah. Um, something based on what um, um, was saying is, <coughs> is I feel like everything that we do, beginning, middle, end, all has to be covered in prayer. Uh, not a lot happens, I don't think, <coughs> if there's this prayer continually. Because Paul is saying we should pray without ceasing. Um, so really, even in the something little like, how should my day, you know, Lord, what give me wisdom about how I should live my day, you know? And sometimes we're really busy, we may not do that, but I feel like we, everything needs to be covered in prayer. For the Lord, more of his work is accomplished that way. Yes, and Nehemiah makes it very clear that, you know, he asks for prosperity for what's to come. And that shows that he had a vision that big things, I believe, were still to come. And I believe that's something that God's doing in us right now um, with with the small things at times and also with the big things. And, and it's no wonder, that, you know, what God can do with the small, that God can do anything. He can do anything. That's right. So, Lord, we thank you for this study in Nehemiah. We pray, Lord, that people would understand the importance of the undergirding that needs to take place in prayer, Lord. We ask, Lord, if this is a confusion or something that needs to be fully established, that you begin to reveal what that looks like for each person, Lord. That the undergirding would take place and you would receive much glory and honor by what we can learn from these prayers, Lord. Thank you for a willingness to confess and to understand your covenant the way Nehemiah did. We just want to give you great glory and honor for the rest of our time this evening and bring us all back together safely on Shabbat. We also ask one more time, Lord, please give us good weather on Sunday for the March of Remembrance. And we just lift that up to you in Yeshua's name. Amen. Amen.